The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, you need not turn to the passage because I shall leave it immediately, said, I want you to account of us as stewards of the mysteries of God. Not merely the steward of the mystery, but the steward of the mysteries of God. Well, once again, you see, we've been more or less emphasising much the same line of teaching without consulting one another, which is one of the marks, I think, that we are under the direction of God without claiming anything supernatural. Stewards, the word gives us a very wonderful word, the one that's often used by us, and some people think we're crazy about it. The word steward gives us the word dispensation. Some people multiply the problem. Oh, what is dispensational truth? I've said, I wonder what that man means when he puts over his shop, dispensing chemist. Don't you know? You don't expect when you're going there for a bad cough or you've got a bad cord, he gives you the same medicine. He dispenses it. And dispensational truth is just realising that God has a purpose for heaven and for earth, for Israel, for the Gentiles, for those who come under the covenants and those who had none. And the word steward, steward, did I say steward? Yeah, all right. The word steward is just the same idea. It's one who has a responsible position and must give an account of his service. So the apostle said, I want you to account of us as stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, some people, again, get all of a flummox with regard to the word mystery, because that word has attached to itself something which is rather spooky. I think it's a terrible thing to read in the paper that we have so many who are confessedly witches. Where are we getting to in these days? But there's nothing like that in the word mystery. It simply means a secret. A secret that once you're told, you know all about it, there's no mystery about it, it's only that God has kept some part of his purpose to himself, as a wise general would do if he had a ruthless enemy. You don't expect a man who's in charge of a force, telling the whole wide world what his plans are before they start, unless he's going to alter them all and deceive the enemy, which would be good policy, I suppose. And so God, as far as you get in the book, starting with Genesis. By the time you reach Abraham, you're halfway through the Old Testament, in time. Just 11 chapters. And the rest of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, right the way through to Malachi, are the same length of time. Just the same length of time. From Abraham to the end of the Old Testament. God specially concerned with that one nation, and that one people, and their land, and their position that they're going to occupy one day by grace, a kingdom of priests, and all the world under their care. But then you know as well as I do, that they failed, failed signally. But was God taken unawares by that? Well, if he can foretell as he did so many things as the scriptures indicate, we know full well he wasn't taken by surprise. He knew. But that doesn't mean to say that they weren't responsible. And so, 
He had a secret purpose that he didn't divulge. Wasn't put in scripture until it became necessary and that is connected with the defection of the people of Israel. So, I'm going to suggest to you this evening that for your own study and then when you're seeking to help somebody else, there are three mysteries. You see, stewards of the mysteries, there are three that should be considered together and in a certain order. Now, if you plunge straight away into Ephesians 3, the person will say, I don't know what you're getting at. Or, he will begin to bring in things which have to do with the new covenant. Or, he'll link the mystery up with the new Jerusalem and speak about the bride. No, that's putting the cart before the horse. The first mystery that you want to refer to is found in Romans 11. And verse 16. I'm um, sorry. Verse uh, 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. Now, what mystery is this? Ignorant of this mystery. What is it? Leave it there, and you may guess anything. But he goes on to say, Lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness, in part, is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and so all Israel shall be saved. So the Gentile was coming in to a gap that was left by the defection of Israel, but God was going to keep his word with Israel, and the fullness of time they would be redeemed and saved and blessed. So the first mystery that you should deal with in your own study or with others, is this question of Israel's blindness. Because, you see, the temptation of the person who is listening to you, if he doesn't recognise that, is to keep on bringing in something to do with Abraham, or something to do with, with the Jew, or something to do with Jerusalem, and something to do with prophecy. But you say, oh, well, prophecy. But presently we shall see that this mystery was so effectually hid that no one could find it, not even in the Bible, for it wasn't there. Now, this mystery of Israel's blindness reaches its critical point in the last chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. Up to that period, there had been, humanly speaking, the possibility that Israel would repent. You know, that's the key word of the kingdom. John the Baptist, repent. The first message of Christ, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. After Pentecost, repent, rend your hearts and not your garments. You are the children of the prophets. And so we get right near to the end. The apostle standing before his judges and speaking about the hope of resurrection, he said, under which hope our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. And by the way, I think the Apostle wasn't very well instructed because today the 12 tribes don't exist. Two of them, we don't know where they are and the other 10 are lost and we are supposed to be one lot and America the other, which is which, I don't know. But evidently the Apostle didn't know anything about the lost 10 tribes, neither did James, for he wrote his epistle, James, or as his name was really, Jacob, 
You know that, don't you? Uh, Jacobite furniture goes back to King James. Don't ask me why they spell James and Jacob all mean the same thing. It takes us a long way round. But Jacob, to the twelve tribes scattered abroad, greeting. And there's no suggestion that ever came back unknown. He knew he was addressing people. So the people of Israel remained as a people right through the Acts of the Apostles so that Paul could speak right to the end of his period in the Acts of the Apostles unto which our twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hoped to come. He had written to the Roman church and said he longed to see them. But when he got there he sent for the elders of the Jews. Although he was longing to see the church at Rome, he sent to the elders of the Jews. And he said to them, For the hope of the church, no, for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. The hope of Israel begins in chapter 1 of the Acts. Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? The people who said that had had a 40-day Bible study with the risen Christ as their teacher. And you mean to tell me that after 40 days' instruction out of the Old Testament, they have completely understood him because I've read comments on the Acts of the Apostles that that was the apostolic mistake number one. They ought to have been talking about the church instead of that they spoke about the kingdom. They said, therefore, as a consequence of 40 days' teaching, therefore, they said to him, wilt thou at this time? And he said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father have put in his own power, you just carry on with the witness. And so we get Jew only. There were Jews out of every nation under heaven at Pentecost. And there'd been a riot if there'd been Gentiles there. And yet I read books that tell you that that time the Jew and the Gentile was baptised into one body and made the church. Pentecost is explained in Leviticus chapter 23. It was a, a law given to, by Moses to the people and they kept it the same as they did the other. When you get to the 13th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, the Apostle Paul is speaking. He said, Children of the stock of Abraham and whosoever among you feareth God. And the Gentiles asked him to speak again. So, the first part of Acts is Jew only. The second part of Acts is Jew and Gentile together. Now we get to the last chapter. He saw the elders of the Jews at Rome. And he spent a whole day with them. Opening the Old Testament scriptures concerning Jesus. Notice it. And when they still manifested a hardness of heart and unbelief, he quoted for the last time Isaiah chapter 6. Their eyes closed, their hearts hardened, and he said, the salvation of God is sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And he continued in his own hired house, and he didn't speak about Jesus, he spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he never said about the law and the prophets, because what he was going to say wasn't found in the law and the prophets. It was a secret or a mystery. Now that's where the way the Acts of the Apostles end. So whenever we're dealing with ourselves in our studies or with one another, remember the mystery of Israel's blindness must be understood. Now I think I would like you to turn back to the Old Testament just to a, a book which gives you a hint. This is the prophet Hosea. 
And if you don't know where to find it, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and so on, uh, all these with O in them are all linked together. That's easy, isn't it? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and so on. Well, now it says, and you notice I take off my glasses to read and put them on when I'm not reading. Yeah. There are children born to this couple. And um, in verse 9, the Lord said, Call his name Lo-Ami. Lo, in the Hebrew language, is the negative. Not. Am is the word for a nation or a people, like Abraham. And Lo-Ami, M-I, is near enough for M-Y, not my people, not people of mine. Call his name Loami, not my people. For ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Now when you read the Acts of the Apostles, can you say that started at the first chapter, second chapter, third chapter? Well, the God of Abraham is there. The God of the covenants is there. And the Apostle Paul, who had a direct message to the Gentiles, he said, the Jew first, and also the Greek. And when he gave a hint, of the nature of the unity when he wrote the epistle to the Romans he spoke about an olive tree and the Gentiles were like a wild graft into the true olive tree well that's not a picture of fellow members of one body on equal terms I'm not grafted into any olive tree of Israel I'm a member of the body of Christ but they're not on, e- on similar terms you see so we have in this Hosea this foreshadowing. Low army, not my people. Now will you turn to chapter 3. Verse 4. I'm missing out a lot, of course, you must supplement later. For the children of Israel shall abide many days. Many days. We're not told exactly how long. Without a king and without a prince. Now that seems to mean without their own king and without another king ruling them outside. The people of Israel are not now ruled by one monarch. For when a war breaks out, the poor Jews in that army are fighting his brother in that army. That's their, that's their position today. Without a prince and without a sacrifice, because a sacrifice must be offered at Jerusalem and it cannot be offered in this country so that their synagogue service is just a ritual and a consciousness that it's empty. Without shedding of blood is no remission, is the Old Testament all over again, over and over again. So they are without a sacrifice and without an image. Israel plunged into idolatry early, but never since their failure, never since they were blinded, have they become idolaters anymore. They do withstand all idea of idolatry. And then it says, without an ephod, and the ephod is a priest's garment, they have no priest. If you went to a synagogue, the man in charge is the reader. They've got no priest. If he is there, the priest, one of the things he can do is to take his tonis that he wears over his head, put it between his two fingers like that, and pronounce the high priest's blessing. That's about all. And take the redemption shekel. No work for the priest. Oh, it's a tragedy to go down a back street and see a rag and bone shop and over the top it says, Nathan. That's what the priest, that's the word priest, that's what's happened to Israel. They've got no priest, no king, 
no prince. And there's a speculation about the teraphim because some think, and it's possible, that they are the genealogies of the people showing their relationship to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and so on. But anyhow, they're devoid of these things. They haven't got them. Afterward, oh, there's an afterward to it. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. If you'll glimpse at... Um, uh, no, I, I don't think I can tell you that passage. I'll leave that because I don't want to stop too long on this one. So the first mystery to be clear about is the mystery of Israel's blindness. That it happened at Acts 28 and in the interval God is blessing you and me irrespective of covenants made with Abraham or relationships with Jews or their hope. Well now what's the next mystery that we should have in view? Well if you come to Ephesians 3 you'll find there are two. Not one. Ephesians 3, where the Apostle claims as the prisoner of Jesus Christ for us Gentiles, he says in verse 3, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. So he's, he's claiming that to him and to himself only had been revealed this mystery, this present purpose of God. Well, now, when any person stands up and says, now, take it from me, friends, I've had a revelation from God, nobody knows a word about it but me, well, you'd be a little bit suspicious, wouldn't you? And so the Apostle, so our Saviour, do you remember a man was once brought to him, sick of the palsy? And they laid him at his feet, and do you know what our Saviour said to him? Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Oh, I said, hey, this is blasphemy. Nobody can give, forgive sins but God. He said, now that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, I'll say to the man sick of the palsy, rise, take up your bed and walk. And he did. If God permitted that, he proved his other case, hadn't he? So now let's follow the same line of argument here. Whereby when you read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed. Leave that bracket out. That's only been put in by man. Don't you see? He says, there is a mystery of Christ, quite separate from the mystery of the present dispensation. It's been unveiled in the scriptures from Genesis 3, or perhaps earlier, the seed of the woman, Isaac, the son of Abraham, and so on, right the way through. And he says, you compare my knowledge of the secret of Christ with anything that's been ever written before. I got the last word, he said. Now, I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 8. The 8th Psalm, uh, known to us all, I dare say, It says, um, verse 4, What is man, that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honour. 
Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. Would you say, what's that got to do with our calling? Well, thou hast put all things under his feet. Now, when you come to the epistle to the Corinthians, I think I'll I'll leave that for a minute and just give another word because we'll leave Psalm 8. You notice over the top of Psalm 9 these words, to the chief musician upon Muslavin. Now, this is going to be a problem. You see, strictly speaking, the one who set up this type by instruction, he put the closing little sentence that belongs to Psalm 8 over the top of Psalm 9 and so he puts a 1 on 10 and so all the way through it's joggled. I can't prove that now. If you like to find uh, a book called Psalm Titles you'll see it all worked out. Uh, But for the moment except for the moment the suggestion that the close of Psalm 8 is the word upon Muslaban. Now the word upon is the translation of two two letters in the Hebrew language, E-L. So if they hadn't translated it, they wouldn't have said upon Muslava, they'd said Elmuth. And you say, well, what's Elmuth? Elmuth means a secret. Don't you see? La Ben. Don't you know the word Ben means a son? The secret of the son. And would you believe it? You've only got to open your Septuagint version, the Greek version of the Old Testament that was in use 300 years before Christ, and they actually put the words there, the secrets of the Son. And all our teachers have been so blind until I come along and tell them. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) It's simply because I just let God tell me, I think, that's all. I'm no scholar. I just open the book. It's written there, the secrets of the Son. Now then, you see, In the Old Testament, all things under his feet were sheep and oxen. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? Would you have a look? 1 Corinthians 15. It says in verse 27, For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. That's an extraordinary conclusion to draw, isn't it? All things under his feet were sheep and oxen in the Old Testament. He says it's manifest that there's only one who is not under his feet. Now, some clever person had a brainwave. He said, let's get the computer to decide whether Paul wrote the epistle to the Hebrews. Will you come to the epistle to the Hebrews and see whether we can get anything uh, there? That's um, chapter 2, I think. I'm not sure. No, I've lost it. Somebody left to help me. I want the passage which has all things under his feet. 2 8, thank you. I couldn't understand the own writing, that's the trouble. Yes, that's it. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, is the psalm being quoted. 
Thou crownest him with glory and honour, did set him over the works of thine hands, thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Sheep, oxen? No. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. And then the computer said, Paul couldn't have written Hebrews. Well, it's exactly the same as he says in Corinthians. One exception only. I think that computer got misled, don't you? And again in Corinthians he said, I fed you with milk and not with meat. And in Hebrews he said, your babes, you're being fed on milk and not meat. Oh, I think there's enough evidence that the Apostle Paul wrote the epistle to the Hebrews and that the epistle to the Galatians was the covering letter because he wasn't an apostle to the Hebrews. But that's another story. So now, you see, the next thing is, first of all, the, the mystery of Israel's blindness. Now there's a mystery of Christ which has been growing through the scriptures. The mystery of Christ unveiled at his birth at Bethlehem. Emmanuel, God with us, that was a part of the secret of Christ. And so it comes through until you get the apostle saying, now compare my knowledge of the secret of Christ with that of anybody else. Let's come back to chapter 3 again of, of Ephesians. Chapter 3 of Ephesians, you see, he, he slips in this reference to the, to the secret of Christ as a proof that the secret which had been hidden altogether had been revealed to him, just the same as our Lord appealed to the man who was sick of the palsy. So now I'm going to read again, chapter 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, oh, he said, I, I know, I made a claim. I made a claim to be the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. So he says, I hope you've heard, or if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, Lord, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words. Now then, whereby when you read, you may understand, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed. Well, that's a comparison. But this mystery which the Apostle says belongs to you and to me at this present time was hid in God and was hidden away from the generations. Well, if it's hid in God, how can you say it was a partly revealed in the Old Testament? That's a contradiction. So the mystery of Christ was partly revealed but now fully revealed, the mystery of Christ. And walk going with that, when you get the full revelation of the mystery of Christ, you've got that secret part of God's purpose that belonged to the seated Christ in heavenly places far above principality. That's where the apostle comes in. So, we have the mystery of the people of Israel and their blindness. We have the mystery of Christ revealed to the apostle in a fuller sense than anyone else could claim. And then we have, of course, the mystery with regard to the present dispensation. Let's look a little bit further down this chapter then. Verse 8. Unto me, once again, the apostle's making a claim, once again, he feels, oh, I, must re I must rectify any thought that I'm taking this to myself. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, well, we can give him credit for being a humble-minded man. 
But if he was less than the least, I don't know where we come in, do you? I mean, I heard what you had to say about me and the Apostle Paul, but goodness me. Earthen vessels. And yet we can understand his attitude. When you're in the presence of the living God and the revelation of his word, the glory of Christ, the difference between one and the other is very small. So he said, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I, that I, should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He said, that, that, that's something for you to remember. I've got something which has never been searched out by anybody. Why? Because God never told anybody. He's revealed it to me. And if you don't like to accept the Apostle's word, well, there's nothing for it, is there? So he goes on. And to make all men see, our version says, what is the fellowship? Now the word fellowship begins with the word um, K-O-I, and the word dispensation begins with the word O-I-K. And that's what happened. Have you ever copied out page after page after page, handwriting? Well, I, I'm sure you wouldn't be able to do it without getting some little slips. And so practically all the manuscripts that have come down to us through the early ages, you see one poor old slave has written the verse out twice over and forgotten he's done it. And I one leaves the verse clean out. But you say that, oh, we understand that. And this particular manuscript, which the authorised version had, had got the word fellowship of the mystery, and the manuscripts which have been brought to light with much more authority read the word dispensation. Well, you can take your choice. It comes to the same thing at the end, but I think the evidence is that he said dispensation. And to make all men see what is the dispensation of the mystery which from the beginning of the world, well that's far enough back isn't it, from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things. Well that couldn't be shared by anybody then, could it? It was hid in God till it was made known to Paul. So that means to say that you can't listen to anybody who says, oh, I know all about this mystery. There's Rebecca being taken back as the bride of Isaac. They tell me something else. Rebecca was a bride. Oh, you say the church of the body is the bride. Is that so? The church of the body is the bride. Let's have a look over the page, will you? It says of this, um, this body, this church, Till we all come, in verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Well, you may say to me, well, man includes men, women and children. Oh, yes. One word does, but this particular word is used in the next chapter two or three times and translated husband. Now, I'm perfectly certain if Paul was trying to emphasise that the church was the bride, he wouldn't have used the word which he was going to say in the next chapter that it was the husband. If that's not mixing up things, what is? Don't you see? Folks have been so obsessed by the idea of the bride of the Lamb that there'll be no poor bridegroom up there when the paradise is restored again. People have clearly forgotten the bride can't be a bride without a bridegroom. And so, the body of Christ is the perfect husband. 
our brother said in his remarks, our private lives, all to think that in chapter 4, the church is likened to a perfect husband, and in chapter 5, it says, verse 25, husbands, love your wives. And if you stop there, you say, well, what's the idea of putting that in scripture? You're supposed to love your wives, aren't you? Ah, but he didn't say that. Oh, didn't he? No. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Ah, that's a bit deeper than the average, ordinary, everyday love of man to wife, isn't it? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So, there's the husband. And there being prepared to be the perfect man or husband. So, we have the mystery of Israel's blindness being used by God to introduce the mystery of the present dispensation, which when it run its course, and every member of the body is called and placed in his position, that will come to an end. God will then pick up the threads that have been laid down so long, and we are told that all Israel shall be saved. The Old Testament says, they shall look upon him whom they pierced, and they shall mourn for him. And the nations that are left, oh, what tragedy in those words. The nations that are left, after these people touch the buttons and let these things go off, they're all playing about with. The nations that are left will go up to Jerusalem three times a year to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, and Israel will be a kingdom of priests. And that's their destiny. So, as you see, we come back again to our opening thought. In this particular witness, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. And if we're going to be stewards and be faithful, we should have some conception of what's been placed in our trust. So that's the why, why we hammer away at this particular aspect, because that is the peculiar uh, character of the ministry which we have been given. We do not set aside the gospel of the grace of God, God forbid, we do not set aside the glorious doctrines of justification by faith. It's all there. But we say that in connection with that, and resting upon that, God has been putting something which he never told anybody, till it looked as though the whole purpose of God had collapsed. Then he reveals, as it says um, in the Acts of the Apostles, no man forbidding him. I'd like you to look back at that last verse of the Acts of the Apostles, Acts 28, or rather, at the 28th chapter itself, because you do remember, don't you, that Mark 16 says, these signs shall follow, not may follow, these signs shall follow them to believe. And it picks out two things. They shall pick up serpents, and they shall heal diseases. Hands up anybody who's picked up serpents. Some people, I've heard about them in some places in the United States, they do it because they think it's true and sometimes they're fatally bit and die. I'm sorry for them. But it doesn't say these signs may possibly, they shall. So you haven't, if Mark 16 is true of you, none of us in this congregation have got any evidence we're saved people. These signs shall follow them to believe. They shall take up serpents. Now look at this uh, 
chapter 28. The shipwreck has taken place, and when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. I like that bit, don't you? They're barbarous people, but they show kindness. That's Luke writing, you know. For they kindled a fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a... Paul. The only one who got any gumption was the saint, the apostle. You think to yourself, he'd say, well, I'm exempt from that. Here are prisoners, here are sailors, here are these rough men. Not one of them. It's the Apostle Paul who goes out and gets a bundle of firewood. I remember many years ago upsetting somebody badly. I could feel he was a bit like that on the edge. He wanted to know what it was to be all utterly and completely consecrated. I said, go and gather some firewood. But then, of course, I had to explain what I said afterwards. You see, I had to. But, you see, here's the, here's the man. The Apostle Paul gathered the bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. And look what happened. There came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Oh, well, you say, I've been in Epping Forest and people are shrieked because a grass snake's just a god. Just like a worm, they can't hurt you. You wait a minute, though, read this. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet Nebesis, or vengeance, suffereth not to live. They shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen. See, these people knew what that serpent was, if Paul didn't. They looked to see that he would have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. Rotha looked a great while they said, he's a god. Don't you see miracles, if they're not wrought in harmony with the will of God, produce idolatry? These people said, oh, he's a god. And then in the same quarters, were possessions of a chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, and received us and lodged us three days courteously. Oh, a lot of nice people, barbarians with no little kindness, and then courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius had a rather tummy ache. Didn't quite know what he got. Oh, friends, oh, friends. Have you ever come into touch with a person, with a man who had this bloody flux, dysentery? That's what the man had got. No trifling with that. No putting hands over him and he's all completely healed. That's what happened with the Apostle Paul, did he? Dysentery. And then all the different ones in the island. Now, what I'm trying to get is, the last chapter of the Acts of the Apostles is still fulfilling Mark 16. You shall take up serpents, you shall heal diseases. For the hope of Israel, he said, I'm bound with this chain. Israel goes right through the Acts of the Apostles from chapter 1 to chapter 28. And there's the all-day conference. Now, at the very last verse. Verses. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God. And some person says, oh, well, that's all the same thing, because he preached the kingdom of God up there, you see, in verse 23. But the kingdom of God is inclusive of all his sovereignty whether in earth or heaven or far above all, or whether it's men or angels or principalities, you can't be outside the kingdom or sovereignty of God. But, he said, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord, Jesus Christ, the full title, you see, in the other 
uh, in the same context, in verse 23, And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him to his lodging, that balanced his own hired house, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, that's teaching those things which concern the preaching the kingdom of God, and then persuading them concerning Jesus, at the foot it says, concerning the Lord, Jesus Christ, and then it goes on up in the other verse to say, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. But there's no law on prophets now mentioned. Is that an accident or is it a part of the truth? The mystery of the church of the one body of the present dispensation of the mystery is not found in the law and the prophets. It is a mystery. Revealed for the first time to Paul the prisoner and made known through his writings. So, that ends up by saying, with all confidence, no man forbidding him. And you say, well, you didn't bother about that. Oh, wait a minute. That very word is used earlier in the Acts of the Apostles when a Gentile came and uh, Peter's a bit concerned. He says, you know, you know, it's a thing unlawful for a man that is a Jew. You know, I never called Peter a Jew. He called himself that. In the Acts of the Apostles, long after Pentecost. He says, you know, it's a thing unlawful for a man that is a Jew to be seen in company of one of another nation. Oh, but Peter, don't you know the church began at Pentecost? He said, did it? I must have been asleep then. Here's Peter, one of the leading ones at Pentecost, telling a Gentile who asks him, asks him the way of salvation. He said, I don't know quite what to do about it. This is putting me in a bit of a fix. I'm a man that's a Jew. I, I, I can't have dealing with another nation. And while he argued a point with him, God stopped the whole lot. And the man was baptised by the Holy Spirit and had the gifts. So what did Peter say? Can any man forbid water? Here it is. Can any man forbid? That was his attitude. He says, no man forbidding. The same word. We live in a, a, a dispensation when no man forbids. The distinction between Jew and Gentile is for the moment wiped out. A Jew can believe the testimony of the Apostle Paul and become a member of the body of Christ. Paul himself was a Jew and he was a member of the body of Christ. But he doesn't come in on any terms of covenant privilege. He comes in just exactly the same as you or I who are Gentiles without hope, without Christ, without God, without covenant, without promises. And so we have three mysteries entrusted to us. Stewards of the mysteries of God. The mystery of Israel's blindness, Acts 28, the dividing line. When they go out, the mystery is revealed. The mystery of Christ, made known in Old Testament, made known in the Gospels, but made known in its fullness to the Apostle Paul as he challenges. He said, where will you read anywhere else that sheep and oxen in the Psalm 8 is pointing to all things under his feet to such an extent that God alone is the exception. And he says it twice over, once in Corinthians, once in Hebrews. And then we have the claims in Ephesians and in Colossians. I won't go on for another that couple of minutes and then I shall finish, but I'll turn you to Colossians chapter 1 for a, a repeat by the Apostle of the same subject in a few words. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. 
who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, not to fulfill. That sounds as though you're fulfilling a prophecy which has already been made. This is the other way around, to feel full. This completes the word of God. Now you try, you upset some nice Christian person and he doesn't know anything about the mystery, you say you haven't got a complete Bible. What do you mean, he says? Well, this is, this man says that this dispensation completes the word of God and you don't know a word about it, so, so far as you're concerned, you've got an incomplete Bible. Of course, do it gently, you know, but still, you know. So, even the mystery which have been hid from ages and from generations in Ephesians is even hid in God. What if God hides? Can you find? I think not. It was revealed by God in his own time and to his own, in his own way to this man. But now, that's present time, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, and so on. Well, that's as far as I think I can go this evening. I'm so thankful to be able to be here because, as you know, that's two years ago I had a feeling that I was very nearly touching the tape at the end. But by the mercy of God, uh, the heart trouble has been to a large extent uh, tackled and all the other things that I mustn't talk about seem to have been rectified a little bit. The only thing that I've got now is I'm like Jacob who halted on his thigh but he said at the same time, I've seen the face of God, and yet I live.